to be joking. You've got to be joking. Now, when the treasurer wishes oh, to go no. there or not, I would forbid him going. Forbid him going to the Senate. To, uh, to uh, account for this unrepresentative swell over there. Hey Nick, how you going mate? Wow, that was weird, <laughs> that was different that one. I'm good, thanks Rob. Welcome back to the Unrepresentative Swill podcast everyone. Yeah, everyone, welcome back. Um, hopefully this week's will be better than last, because last week's was a disaster. Wow, okay, I wouldn't call it a disaster mate. Lexi was good, thank you Lexi. Yeah, Lexi was horrible. It's okay, she won't listen. <laughs> <laughs> no, Lexi was fantastic. Unfortunately, my cat um, posed some audio issues. Yeah. But it wouldn't be the first time we've had audio issues, Rob. No, I don't think so. Well, so, it might be, actually. <laughs> <laughs> we do have old mate lawnmower somewhere around here, but I don't think you can hear it that well. Yeah, old mate lawnmower is less dangerous when we're not, like, right next to him. Yeah. But uni's about to finish up, Rob. Yeah, it is. I'm Exc- really excited. We're, we almost have degrees. So, you know, <laughs> that's going to make everything we say super qualified. Yeah, we actually have, like, I think we'll pass our exams. Yeah, I don't. I'm going to go out on a limb here, but I think we'll pass our exams here. So <laughs> probably we've we've basically already got degrees we're in smart economics cookies. and international. We're relations. economists and political scientists. <laughs> so you are the best of both worlds, aren't we? Really, that's ridiculous to me. I, I can't believe that. Um, later on the on this week's episode, we're going to cover um, Albanese, Labor's opposition leader, and his budget and reply, and also the Gladys Berejiklian scandal. But First, Rob, in response to what we did last week, Trump has now tested twice negative for COVID, allegedly. Yeah. And he's back on the campaign trail. Back on there. He's immune. Maybe maybe forever. <laughs> Who knows? How weird is that? Yeah, it's strange, hey? He just got like the best treatment in the country and it actually worked. Who'd have thought? <laughs> what, actually treating people instead of just letting them die on the streets? He's like, oh, this thing's so easy. <laughs> yeah, the bloody other 200,000 Americans didn't have <laughs> access to the best healthcare in the world. Yeah, shame. Um, I was I had a lovely dinner with my mother and father last night for my father's 64th. Oh, and my mum was convinced that Trump didn't actually have it and that he was using it as some sort of like political play. Interesting. I'm interested <laughs> in this political play thing because even you know, even if he just caught it randomly, he has recovered really quickly. Do you think that's played into his hand? No, because his um, approval ratings decreased in this time. <laughs> that was gonna, yeah. I was gonna lead on to the second point, which is he's Biden has once again swung through in the polls, not only in the popular vote, which he's been leading the whole time, also in the polls in those crucial swing states like Florida. Um, the interesting thing is. I don't think popular vote matters at all in the US because no. guess what? It's a broken democracy. <laughs> Who'd have thought? Yeah. Um, it's literally just like how you do in like Florida, Ohio, the Rust Belt, uh, New Mexico, I think. Yeah, a Arizona. few of those key swing states. Um, you can literally just run an election where you're like, I will do great things for Florida, Ohio, the Rust Belt, and Arizona. And you'd probably win, to be honest. I know, I know. Well, yeah, infamously, Al Gore in 2000 won the popular vote. I think it was 2000. Yeah, 2000. Probably, yeah, you Al know Gore. more about this than me. But um, And the votes in the Electoral College came down to Florida, the yeah. crucial swing state. And there was like only like 400 votes 
in like one town in Florida, which decided it in the end. Yeah, and it, what what was it? Was that that wasn't H W Bush, was it? That was was that H W? Ah, uh, yeah, George. Yeah, H W. Um, yeah, and you know that was a crucial. He took us through nine eleven. Yeah, nine eleven. The war on terror. Yeah, what? Imagine how different the world would have been with President Al Gore, you know, famous environmentalist, um, leading in that crucial period. So, yeah. Well. You know, some people think that 9-11 was an inside job, so maybe 9-11 wouldn't have happened. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. That's a good, that's a good <laughs> point, Ross. That's funny. I've never heard of that. You've never heard of 9-11 being an inside no, job? No, just that joke. That's pretty oh, funny. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, it just goes to show, though, like, yeah, people say, like, you know, my vote is useless. In many circumstances, your vote counts. And it's like, you know, 400 yeah. votes is fucking nothing. Like, one volunteer can, can sway 400 voters Definitely. throughout the course of a campaign. It's... um. Yeah, it, that election is quite sad. It went to the courts and was very drawn out and got quite ugly, yeah. which is what will happen this year. Well, yeah, maybe, right? It depends how much the, how big the margin is. Um, but, you know, fingers crossed Biden wins with a comfortable margin. Yeah. Because I think we can all say that now. Yeah, no one really supports Trump. You know? <laughs> Not in Australia, anyways. Yes. No. Speaking of, did you catch anything from the vice presidential debate? No, I. It was much. I've I've seen clips. It looked much more entertaining than the presidential debate. Civil, yeah, like, civil. Yeah, they weren't talking over each other. Apparently, the most interesting thing was a, a fly on Mike Pence's head. <laughs> yeah, I did see yeah. that. I but, saw that the chaser put a post up. They're like, um, "Fly finally finds the biggest piece of shit in the world." <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, yeah, he is a piece of shit, Mike Pence. Yeah, he's he was not advocating the for um, like the therapy to, you know, in quotes, change homosexual people, um, conversion therapy. Once. Yeah, he's a real so, stranger, hey. Yeah, evil guy. Um, I was gonna linking this whole thing back though. Um, one of the key kind of predictors of the election, that being the stock market has swung to Biden. You saw the US stock market have its biggest gain since like June or July or something, I want to say, last week in anticipation that the 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 favor has swung to Joe Biden and that he will ensure that stimulus can pass and will stay, help stabilize the economy. Because Trump has, by the way, now come out and said, you know, gone back and forth, but basically said that he won't, he'll stop negotiating with Democrats to pass economic stimulus in the Congress which everyone is saying is going to jeopardize the US economy even more. So, Don't worry about your job, Donald. Just keep campaigning, man. Yeah. Well, yeah, well. luckily, this will all be over soon. Only a few weeks to go now. Yeah, the thing is, he's still going to be president into 2021. You know, I feel like even if he loses, yeah. he's, you know, you can do some damage in those last few. Yeah. Well, if he's got nothing to lose, you do yeah. worry. Um, hopefully everyone will just kind of... Oh, and apparently he's just going to refuse the result anyways. Yeah, real worrying. I mean, I... Yeah, I am going to be... I was thinking about this. If he wins, I'm going to be like very anxious, very sad. I'm even anxious leading up to the election. Yeah, it's quite interesting. It's a scary thought, to be honest. Yeah, my my dad's famous for telling me, oh, but you know, the Americans deserve it. Who cares? I say, dad, it has grave consequences for the entire planet. I thought your dad would be uh, um, more intellectual than that to just say, not not to not to hit back at your dad. <laughs> what did you call my dad? <laughs> <laughs> I thought your dad would really understand the wider prospects, right? Yeah, I think he does. He likes to play devil's advocate in, at those points, you know. Also, but. yeah, I, I do understand that point of Americans deserve it. But unfortunately, yeah. yeah, it does 
affect us gravely. I had a great chat with your dad the other day, actually. Oh, at the, at the wine, wine and cheese, cheese night. night? Yeah. Guys, check out Unearthed, local social enterprise I help out. Really cool stuff. Yeah, that's actually one of the more admirable things you do, Nick. Because <laughs> this <laughs> podcast is not admirable at all. No. We just shit can politicians yeah. for 45 minutes. I know. Um, I'll get to my other news points here before we move on. Um, the... The higher education changes are passed through the Senate. Yep. Um, bad yeah. luck if you're studying uh, humanities, by the way. I just feel really Especially bad. Especially if we have any like listeners in year 12. Yeah, for the year 12 people. Bad luck. You, you've been doing some uh, marketing out there on your on your cushy job, haven't you? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I talk to a lot of year 12s tutoring. Um, yeah. uh, not something that I've mentioned specifically, but I get a chance this week to talk to them again. Um, and I know lots of guys doing arts degrees. Doing like political science, law, um, stuff like that, right? Even commerce has gone up a bit, which is what pretty much all uh, stuck-up hellboys do. I know, but you know, you know, give two blokes a political, so- you know, or, or, or ladies, political science degree. They form a podcast and they become, you know, the champion of the kind of unrepresented masses, like right now. I've actually heard that that's the major reason why it's a political attack by the uh, Liberal Party to try and suppress our podcast oh in uh, our podcast specifically yeah because they saw that we did uh arts and commerce degrees so right like, well, yeah we're and the, stop this boy you know and the in ba- on balance you're probably gonna call us a pro-labor podcast really what makes you think that uh, <laughs> we, we try and keep it as objective here um well you try <laughs> <laughs> that's true oh another thing as well chi- just briefly china has pulled out strong export figures this quarter oh yeah um set to recover quite more uh quite faster than the u.s and other western countries so that is also uh you know worrying good for the global economy but at the same time the old v-shaped recovery i think it's called yeah i mean the don man put it what what will china do if they perceive that they're in a lot stronger position in the u.s especially if trump wins the election Mm. i also heard that um china's this is, this goes on every couple of months. To be fair, that the Chinese government has told like energy manufacturers to stop importing Australian coal. I heard that as well. I mean, yeah, I think a lot of people predicted that. I did some slide decks for a uni club the other week, and we talked about that as the kind of next sector that might be hit. Yeah. So I think it was predictable, but still not good, right? Not good at all. It's worrying. Very worried. Yeah. Um, yeah. Maybe. Maybe on lighter terms, Rob. Let's uh, change gears here. Yeah, let's, look at, let's get into it, Nick. Yeah. Let's look at um, Albanese and the Labor opposition uh, mm-hmm. and their response to the budget. Because last week we talked about obviously the government's budget, but in Australia the opposition leader gets a budget in reply the day after. I think it's the day after, um, where they get to outline their different vision narrative for the government. Yes. And um, let, let's put this out there straight away, Nick. Neither of us have really watched this in depth, have we? Well, no, it's quite boring. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I watched a lot of the budget as well. Josh Frydenberg giving the budget. Pretty boring. You, know, you just want people to take out the ideological spin, the political spin on it, and just you want to get the details. You just want to get pure policy. Just them going, um, we'll introduce this policy under section 33A of the... <laughs> Mate, I'm a political science engine. Put in the pure policy and I will spit out the analysis. <laughs> take out the bias, take out all that shit. Okay. So, uh, Nick, I think the common criticism uh, thrown to Albanese and the Labour Party by um, 
labor aligned people such as ourselves mm. over the last few months is that he hasn't been aggressive enough aggressive enough in attacking uh Scott Morrison. And I think that changed uh on the budget night. I think he started to ramp up his aggression towards Scott. Yeah. And yeah, I think that that is kind of fitting uh, seeing as we're out of the kind of um political chaos that was really representative of the first few months of COVID. Um and now we're seeing an opportunity in the budget and reply where Albanese can deliver a different narrative vision for the gov- for, for his potential government. Yeah. I listened to the first 10 minutes of the reply and one point I found very interesting and one point that I think we've talked about a lot is the um, how, you know, during this crisis, Labor Party has been very accommodating compared to the last crisis that we had, let's say the GFC where the Liberal Party kicked and screamed the whole way through stimulus packages and all that. I thought that was a very good point made by him to show the double standards between uh, the two parties. And yes, you can talk about how um, the COVID-19 crisis is much larger than the GFC, but I feel like it's still quite a fair point to make. Yeah, no, I I agree with that point. Um, I, I would, yeah, make that argument that COVID was quite different, but... I think there's also double standards there where the Liberals were arguing against any kind of stimulus um, at the time and just saying, you know, that sticking to the, the principle of balancing the budget and they've completely abandoned that principle. I yeah. think that's the, that's the more interesting double standard. That is interesting, yeah. Um, yeah, he did talk about the debt a lot as well. Yeah. Which, you know, we've talked about this many times, actually. The debt doesn't really matter for a government, but... I think it's good political points that you can get here. Yeah. Um, and Rob, that leads us... I think that's a, a good way to lead to the big criticism of the budget here. Obviously, the government spending a lot of money to tr- help a lot of people. And I think the business community backed in a lot of the stuff made for business. So there's some tax write-off stuff for purchasing new assets for businesses, really useful. And that wage subsidy scheme for workers under 35. But for all the spending they did... They left out some key groups, and that is what Albanese's budget and reply has really focused on. Yeah, he really focused on um, the effect that this budget has had on women and elderly people in particular, and how they've been left behind a bit by this heavily like market-based recovery, which was very interesting. I found the, the overall argument of the government should help people, not help business, you know, and thereby helping people. I found that a very convincing argument by Albanese. That yeah. probably is because I'm <laughs> labor-aligned. And I mean, that that is one of the continuities we actually see more clearly in this budget is the Liberals are looking out for business and Labor you know, is allegedly, well, you're both allegedly looking out for the people. Um, and you can actually kind of see that with the way the Liberals have designed the budget. And I think the, uh, there's an argument to be made. It's a fair argument that if you're going to spend all this money and we're already piling up debt anyway, why don't you go that extra mile and add a specific scheme to assist women, women who have, by the way, suffered disproportionately um, due to the COVID pandemic. They're overwhelmingly the majority that are on the dole right now on unemployment benefits. Why don't you use a bit of extra money to give them a like direct support scheme that directly affects them because you know you could say that this has been the government's argument that all the stuff they've done has assisted women and men right but i think 
a lot of groups advocating that women should have a specific scheme to help them since they've been affected disproportionately. Well, yeah, the, the, there is a disproportionate um, effect here. And, you know, a lot of people would just say like, oh, well, that's, we, you know, the schemes have been fair and equal, like bad luck, you know. But clearly there are factors here that have affected women worse. So we need to look out for those that are been affected worse in our society especially in a time like this where if we're going to go into this much debt that's fine but let's do it properly you know let's salt you know fix the issues surrounding climate change fix the issues uh surrounding uh health and uh, um child care with women and you know let's help the elderly through this situation yeah i mean you know that that big uh, wage subsidy scheme you know, great. A lot of people are saying, and you know, I agree with this point, great for young people. And, you know, oftentimes young people may perceive that the coalition are kind of working against them and not looking out for them. So I think that's a you know good credit to the coalition there. But there really is not much for people, especially women over 35 in this budget. And, no. you know, if you're going to incentivize employers to employ people under 35... There are heaps of other people above 35 unemployed that you're essentially actually making it harder for them now to get a job yep. because of that scheme. Firms are going to want to employ people under 35 so they can get that wage subsidy. Well, why would you... If you're getting, if you're going to get free money... Um, not free money. <laughs> That's free money? Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. My favorite. I enjoyed my free money from the government during this <laughs> crisis, I just want to say. Yeah, uh, if you're going to get money from the government to help you know, a subsidy, why would you... Why wouldn't you hire someone under 25? It makes like perfect business sense. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's, I granted, I think, you know, it's actually quite a different, difficult policy uh, design process to actually, you know, you want to incentivize young people because I think economists agree on this point that not getting a job if, if you're a young person can have, you know, a lasting effect on the rest of your career. Yep. Um, but you know, that doesn't mean we want to leave these older people you know, behind. And I think it's actually kind of difficult to if, balance incentivizing to employ young people, but also ensuring older people get employed. But you know, that's the role of a government. They need to look out for this thing. If they have a big hole in their budget, we should point it out and you know, they should try harder to actually fix that. Yeah, definitely. Um, <laughs> sorry. I don't really know, Nick. It, it's going to be very interesting to see. Um, do you think Albanese's done a good job with this budget reply? And are you happy with this new direction that he's taken, though? Yeah, I, I think yeah he was given a, a few good points here from the government to actually critique, and he's at, he's done well. So he's come out and said he would, for instance, support a childcare policy, um, subsidising the cost of childcare, which is a policy that directly helps women and women of all ages. Well, I guess older women who have children. Yeah. So done really well there. A lot of focusing on the environment as well, which I think will, is increasingly a good political point to make. Because well, you, I think the um, the fact now is that like seventy percent of Australians not only believe that climate change exists, but also want more action done on it. And I think that's a point that the Labor Party should probably hammer home a bit more. I don't think they've done enough in recent months, anyways, to try and point out the hypocrisy in the absolute terrible uh, energy policy that the Liberal Party has. Yeah, yeah, they can't make an energy policy to save their life. Yeah, and <laughs> it's I caused think multiple coups now. God, 
yeah, it's it's really not a fun history to look over. But I think also the the opposition has a good opportunity here to capitalize on what I think has been actually like a global shift in rhetoric around climate change. You're even seeing people like Bernie Sanders now making the argument that it's going to be better for the economy. They're using like the economic argument as the main argument that green energy has the potential for all these new jobs and all this new economic growth and research and investment. Um, and I think you're seeing all kinds of people across the globe adopting that argument now. Yeah. And you know, that is one that the liberals are going to be quite vulnerable to because supposedly they're, you know, the better economic managers, right? But if you're calling them out on a, a, a principally economic point, I think that might land home harder. Well, that's the thing. I think for the last like five years, renewables has been proven to be the better investment. You see private businesses are no longer really investing in, um, you know, coal energy or you know, old styles of energy. And I think that's really typical of it shows what the Liberal Party is about. It's not about being good economic managers. It's about looking out for their donors. Yeah, I mean, I think you, you cannot argue that the, there hasn't been some ideology at play here. It has to be. And the Coleism religion that we've uh, been talked about. <laughs> Scott Morrison held a lump of coal in Parliament, waved it around and said, what do you have to be afraid of to the opposition? <laughs> Look at us fucking this now. This is Cal. Look at us now. Half the country turns on fire in summer. <laughs> so, you know, I, I think the, the last point I'd like to make here is this stuff is all becoming increasingly more important because this is something that I kind of didn't even realise until recently. We could have an election as early as next year because... In Australia, there's a three-year maximum to your election term before you have to call an election as a prime minister. But before that three years, you can call an election whenever you want. So people are saying that ScoMo might pick the best point where Australia is kind of recovering the best to call an election because in 2022, people argue that we're going to be on the kind of downside. All the stimulus recovery measures will be gone and we'll just be naturally recovering from the recession so we couldn't have election next year is my point have you seen the government's um sorry dude, we're going a little bit long here um have you seen the government's projections for the next few years what for the, the like not only the budget but the economic growth no it's so unrealistic oh yeah it's like five percent or something they're like it? oh yeah we're, we're gonna grow better than we did at the end of the you know during the peak of the um mining boom i think yeah i think we made this point earlier that yeah they're projecting some unsustainable level of economic it's ridiculous. growth and there's no there's no new investment infrastructure there's there's no, no. new sector really the economy kind of underpinning this growth as soon as covid goes away people are just gonna like jump to stores and just buy everything because they haven't been able to that's Frydenberg's argument <laughs> right now yeah i mean yeah i think yeah going briefly back i think the green energy sector could be that kind of sector that could underpin australian growth for the next few decades but yes yeah. not so oh well well we we got to move on, unfortunately. Yeah, well, down to the um, state the f- politics of New South Wales. Why yeah. Don't you, why don't you, Rob, in your, and I know this is going to be a particularly hard topic for you <laughs> <laughs> because this is quite a, quite a uh, political topic. Yeah. Um, but why don't you explain it as best you can? Okay, so basically, koala killer. (laughs) (laughs) Starting off great. (laughs) No, Gladys Berejiklian, uh, the New South Wales Premier, has recently been called into, is it ICAC? ICAC, which is like the tribunal into corruption in politics, has been called in in regards to a minister that 
uh, she had a very close personal relationship with. I think, I think what, intimate relationship. Yeah, it, yeah. But I think what they've called it is a very close. Uh, uh, in, I see. In, in professional, in the actual play, yeah. Wink, wink. Nudge, nudge. I'm stuff. winking to Rob. Um, uh, you know, relationship of five years. Um, and pretty much she's been called in because this minister, well, this MP, has been using his um, ministerial powers to uh, make money off. Uh, property by changing, you know, property um, boundaries and stuff like that. And basically, ICAC wants to know if she was complicit with this cor- corruption um, and if she even, you know, helped this corruption. Yeah. Um, and it's become a big story. I mean, did you hear audio yesterday from the House... Oh, shit. Almost knocked my left over. From the House of Representatives. Um People were sc- the opposition was screaming yeah. at Gladys. She couldn't bloody get a word in. They were, going, they were really rowdy. It was like a kindergarten. Tough, tough day to be the speaker. That one. I know. Yeah. Order. And I know today she's facing motions of no confidence in both houses. And yeah. for you, for you, very lovely people who've done politics and law, you'll know that that's just a big symbolic thing. If you lose a, a motion of no confidence, it doesn't mean anything, but. You know, it's not a very good look for your government. No. So, Nick, um, what do you think about it's? I can't really ask you a direct question. What do you think? Like, <laughs> this is unreal, don't you think? This is this is quite ridiculous. If you listen to some of the the um, uh, like transcripts of the calls between Gladys and that guy, do you remember his name? I'll get it up for you. Yeah, you get it up for me. Um, it's quite up. It's quite alarming to just a, a normal Australian because you just you can't help wonder is this the way politics and business works? He's on the phone saying, um, you know, like, oh, thanks for passing this piece of legislation that really helps my property out of this blah blah blah, and he talks more and more, and Gladys says like, oh no, stop, yeah, like don't just don't tell me, I don't want to know. Mm. So like, <laughs> yeah, I don't want to hear about that. Yeah, I mean, his name's Daryl like, Maguire, by the way. Daryl Maguire, yeah. that Daryl. What a weird name. <laughs> he was the member for Wagga Wagga. That's right. He was the member for Wagga Wagga. Because I yeah. remember. Yeah. Funny name. Yeah, cool name. <laughs> um, but I mean, so one of the big calls here has been people calling on Gladys to resign. Do you think she should resign, Rob? Um, well, it depends, really. I think um, if you think that corruption's a bad thing in politics... Uh, particularly from the New South Wales Liberals, then probably the whole party should resign because they've, <laughs> they've got the pretty long ties of corruption. Um, so, uh, yes, she should resign, but she won't. Um, and I yeah. think that's the key point here. I don't think it really matters if you, uh, what we think. Uh, she won't resign and she'll remain Premier of New South Wales. Yeah, well... I don't know enough about specifically what happened to maybe make the call that she should resign. Um, I won. I I don't know if you heard, but all the liberal key political figures have called, you know, uh, have um, doubled down on their support for Gladys on this issue. Mm. And you have morons in the Liberal Party saying, you know, Gladys has led the best recovery in a, in uh, for COVID. Uh, in, a, in the entire world, maybe. It'd be harder to find someone who's dealt with the COVID crisis better than Gladys. I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? She let an entire <laughs> cruise ship of infected people fucking walk off and go on their merry holiday. The the funniest thing is about that is that, like, the, you know, 
um, Channel 9 and all this mainstream media has been painting Gladys as like the crusader against COVID yeah. and how she's been the best premier. But you've got like Mark McGowan. I know. Alessandro Padgett. Even the um, South Australian premier. I don't know his name. But he's a Liberal Party member. Yeah, I'll, I'll give him some credit. You yeah. hear that? Me giving a Liberal, <laughs> liberal Whoa. some credit? Whoa, crazy. We're not biased. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, they've done better. So it's ridiculous to paint... Gladys is this, like, you know, crusader against COVID. I mean, Gladys only has to stick her head out and look east to see New Zealand that has just done better than <laughs> us in, in most ways. Um, yeah. So that's that, that made me mad, right? But I think my point on this is that corruption is not specific to the New South Wales Liberal Party. It happens a lot. Um there was that Labour, just to point out a Labour example, federally. Was it Craig Thompson? Yeah, it was something Thompson. I'll get it yeah, up for you. In, last, <clears throat> in the in the Gillard government, there was Craig Thompson who had some really dodgy dealings with the trade unions. Um, and a lot of people point to corruption within the trade union movement linked to Labour. So, right, corruption is, is everywhere is what I'm going to say. I think we should use this uh, thing to highlight the importance of anti-corruption commissions like ICAC independent bodies that investigate corruption really really important and i you know i'm going to say this the labor party has been advocating for a independent federal body uh, on corruption in parliament for years now and the government still hasn't actually done that so you know yeah um i want to point out that icac has been routinely um, defunded over the last decade. I think that's a real showing of um, where politics is heading in Australia. I think it's quite sad that um, politics has got to this point where corruption is pretty accepted, you know? And by the way, it was Craig Thompson and he used a union credit cards for sex work. <laughs> there you go. So, you know, it, it's on both sides, definitely. Yeah, look, I think this is a product of the kind of businessification of politics, which has happened since the 1970s. And, you know, you can guess what me and Rob have to say about this, about neoliberalism and that. Um, and, you know, I think corruption is a natural result of that. And it's going to happen anyway. But corruption commission is so important. Um, you got to have a way to deal with it. Yeah, it's ridiculous that um, this uh, commission isn't getting funded more. And, and that we don't have a federal corruption commission yes. um, for the Australian parliament, which is ri- ridiculous. You know, there are some measures, but not strong enough. And the Labor Party has been advocating that for years. So Yeah. On that point, you see uh, Deb Frecklington, the New South Wales leader of the LNP, has been referred to the Queensland Corruption Commission for <laughs> by her own party. <laughs> That's a funny story if, you, <laughs> if you're a Labor supporter. Or, you know, if if you're just in any state other than Queensland, because, you know, as we've joked, the Queensland Labor Party is kind of like the, you know, the the wets of the Liberal Party. Kind of like the left of the Liberal Party in many other places. Sad, hey? Uh, That's Queensland for you, though. I mean, that is is Queensland for you. What happens when uh, every single newspaper in your state is owned by Rupert Murdoch? Yeah, I mean, that's the other thing. This is a good example of just the ridiculousness of media in this country. Yeah, and we didn't cover it as well earlier, but Kevin Rudd just in news um, has made a petition uh, that has been circulating online, calling for a royal commission into um, Murdoch Press. Yeah, please sign that, by the way, guys. Uh, yeah, I mean, I've signed it. 
Um, I've tried to every day, but it keeps on calling me a robot. <laughs> Robo man. Yeah, yeah, of course. Me, the robot. I mean, yeah, yeah. Say what you will about Kevin Rudd, but this is a an important issue. Um, yeah. And the the media concentration is is gotten to ridiculous levels. Just look at the headlines about the budget for the Liberals and about this Gladys scandal. Yeah, across they, the Gladys scandal is very interesting. How it's they've just said like it's personal life. Stay out of it. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a bit ridiculous. You surely you would know, right? I mean, yeah, like, like let's give airtime to the important issue of corruption here and you know, the ties between politics and business and the conflicts of interests and not just go out on a bloody, put our ideological hats on and just blindly defend Gladys and just make just shit comments about how she's done an amazing job handling the COVID crisis. Because, you know, of course she's done good things, but it's not bloody stellar. Otherwise, you know, it, we'd be, there'd be no cases there. Exactly. Um, so, yeah. It's very unfortunate this uh, this world that we live in, and it, as as pointed out by this episode, Australia is not part of this world, and it's not great, is it? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we should um, probably wrap this up, hey Nick. Yeah, yeah, let's wrap this up. We've got to bring back that um optimistic piece of news we do every week. Remember when we did that? Yeah, we ought to. I'm feeling like it's rearing up to the time where we might need it. Yeah, well, it may, maybe if Donald Trump wins again. We'll yeah. bring that back. Yeah, well, I think we're going to need to. <laughs> I just have a chill po- podcast after that. No no politics talk, just... Just relax. Yeah. <laughs> put on a movie or something. Alrighty. Um, don't forget to follow us on socials, guys. Uh, at Unrepresentative Swill on Instagram, Unrepresentative Swill on Facebook, and at Swill Podcast on Twitter. Please message us on Instagram, Facebook, whatever, and you know, give us an idea about what to talk about. You know, this, this first... A topic about Albanese was recommended by the lovely Michaela, who we've had on the podcast, yep. at Netball. You know, at I kept, Nettie. I keep telling things. her, yeah, message the, the page. Because, you know, that way it's on record. And we like to see uh, you know, engagement and stuff. Yeah. Um, so, please, you know, give us a give us a shout. We'd love to hear from you. Exactly. We'll see you guys next week, hopefully. See you later. See you then.